Here's our Vision Radio News update for Wednesday, the 14th of September. I am Curtis Morton. Out of Charlestown, Nevis, illegal firearms seized by police. We get this ZIZ television report. Four illegal firearms were taken into police custody following a search that was conducted on an abandoned vessel in Stony Grove on the weekend, according to police. During the search on Sunday, one thirty-eight revolver with five corresponding rounds of ammunition, two Glock 9mm pistols and 15 rounds of ammunition and one 45 Glock pistol with 57 rounds of 45mm ammunition were found. There have been 12 illegal firearms taken into police custody. Still out of Charlestown Nevis, the three-year St. Kitts and Nevis Solid Waste Management and Recycling Project which has been operational since July 29, 2021, is gearing to enter its second phase of operation, the bin placement program, and has been seeking cooperators among hoteliers and restauranters on Nevis. Project manager Ms. Joyce Chang on Friday, September the 9th, held a meeting with some of the intended cooperators in the tourism industry at the St. Paul's Anglican Church Hall in Charlestown where she updated them on the progress of the project, which was officially launched on Friday, March 4th this year. The meeting was also attended by officials from the Nevis Tourism Authority, whose Chief Executive Officer, Mr. Devon Leibard, was represented by his Executive Assistant, Ms. Kimberly Grant, who called the meeting to order and welcomed the participants. We have invested in machines to help St. Kitts and Nevis to set up a recycling facility, one for each island, said project manager Ms. Chang of the U.S. $1 million project, which is funded by the Taiwan International Corporation and Development Fund, ICDF. We have invested in machines which include two compression balers, one breaker, one forklift, and one truck. In Nevis, the project works with the Nevis Solid Waste Management Authority and according to Ms. Chang, they have already finished the structure, noting that her team had visited the facility the previous day, Thursday, September 8th, to do machine training. Also in attendance at the meeting was the Nevis Solid Waste Management Authority General Manager, Mr. Andrew Hendrickson. The project manager explained that after the recyclables are bailed, they would end up being exported overseas for processing to make sure that the waste will be treated well. Accompanying her was project technician Mr. Giafani Gums and they were assisted by project's promotional officer Ms. Zeda McCall and project intern Mr. Haowa Chiang. Encouraging more people to bring out their recyclables, Ms. Chang pointed out that there are four collection locations in Nevis, which are alternated every second and fourth Friday of the month. Two of the four locations are alternated every second month. Out of Bassia St. Kitts, scores of citizens and residents in St. Kitts and Nevis continue to sign a book of condolence for Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, expressing heartfelt sympathies and sharing words of comfort for the members of the British royal family. The book of condolence is prominently positioned at the entrance of government headquarters. It can be accessed between the hours of 8.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. up until Thursday, September the 15th. Governor-General of St. Kitts and Nevis, Sir S. W. Tapley Seaton, Prime Minister Honorable Dr. Terence Drew, and members of his cabinet signed the Book of Condolence on Monday, September the 12th. Stacia Williams Christmas of McKnight signed the Book of Condolence on behalf of her family, who she said traces back to Frederick.
Theophilus Williams, who served as a Minister of Government in 1956. The Queen has been with me for all my life, she said, noting that the late monarch has been a stable figure during the transition of St. Kitts and Nevis from a British overseas territory to an independent Twin Island Federation. It's just right to pay respects to the person who has been the head of state of our country for many years. Lavado Cummins, a 31-year-old man residing in Phillips's village, has fond memories for the late Queen and her family. Cummings explained that he saw her late majesty and her late husband, Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, when they visited Jamaica in February 2002. The Jamaica National said he is in mourning for the passing of the Queen who died on September the 8th. I am a royalist, Cummings stated, and feeling very sad. Remember, she has been on the throne since 1952 when her father died, so I am feeling very sad. Out of St. John's in Antigua, the South Leeward's Conference of Seventh-day Adventists has responded to the ongoing debate over hairstyles at one of its schools last week. We get this exclusive ABS television report. Another developing story that we're tracking at this hour, the South Leeward Conference of Seventh-day Adventists has responded following the ruckus over here at one of its schools last week. Well, the controversy erupted at the New Bethel Academy that resulted in a child not being allowed to continue school because of a lack of compliance with the dress code and the parents. Well, the school says the issue been, has been amicably resolved and both parent and school are reasonably satisfied with the outcome. However, the school has taken issue with accusations that it was discriminating against Rastafari. Well, joining us now is President of the South Leeward Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, Dr. Carson Green. Very good evening to you, Dr. Green. Thank you so much for joining us on Zoom this evening. You indicate in that press release issued today that the matter has thankfully been amicably resolved and both parent and school are reasonably satisfied with the outcome. Please expound on the amicable resolution that you speak of. Well, Gaffey, good evening. Thanks for having me. Uh, when we say that the issue has been amicably resolved, we have come to uh, a resolution that is reasonably satisfying to both school and parents, and uh, we are happy for that. child has been allowed in the school? Sorry, I, I didn't hear that. And that means that the child has been allowed in school and will continue to be in the school? No, the child is not in the school. The child is attending school somewhere else. Okay, all right. Uh, let's talk about uh, the... Is it therefore that the dress code that you have at the school would not make it possible for any member of the Rastafari community to, to attend that school? Well, uh, it's really up to the Rastafarian community or to anybody else who um, to determine whether or not they want to attend the institution. The institution has a dress code, has a uniform. Uh, we offer education to all, but like any institution, their rules and regulations. And once you are willing to comply with the rules and regulations, we're happy to welcome you. Right. Dr. Green, uh, could you just expound for our audience, please, what in the dress code made it uh, unworkable and impossible for that particular student to have attended the New Bethel Academy? Well, uh, the, the dress code stipulates on the grooming a certain standard for grooming. Like many other schools in Antigua, there are stipulations regarding grooming. Uh, parents have to determine whether or not they're going to comply with these regulations. Um, a lot of uh, uh, fuss have been made over locks. 
Um, it, it is more than that. Um, we, in our schools, um, in, as a matter of a part of the development of discipline, we stipulate things such as here extension, grades, locked, all of that is in one category. And I happen to know that the, the, the New Bethel Academy, the Seventh Adventist School, is not the only school in Antigua that has those kinds of standards. All right, Dr. Green, in the statement uh, uh, released uh, there, it stated that what is most concerning is that the suggestion of legislation on the part of the government to govern the policies and standards of private Christian institutions. And, uh, and in the release, it says uh, that uh, the school strongly disagrees uh, that the government should seek to dictate the standards. So expound on that for us for a bit. Well, thank you. Uh, the, to begin, let me say that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is a strong proponent of religious liberty. We believe that every individual, as our constitution in Antigua and Barbuda says, every individual has the freedom of choice with respect to whether they want to worship, whoever they want to worship. And we respect that and we defend the rights of those individuals. In, this, in the press release, I, I, I pointed out that the International Religious Liberty Association, which is a, a, a non-sectarian worldwide organization, was actually started by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We have defended Muslims, Hindus, Catholics, Baptists, anybody who finds themselves in a tango for the purpose of worshiping as they determine fit, we will defend those individuals once there's not a public nuisance, you know. So we find that to say that we are discriminating is, is really a lack of understanding of what is really going on. Now, when there is the threat of legislation, to answer your question specifically, the threat of legislation, we interpret to mean that it's going to be put into law to determine how we operate our Christian institution. We see that as a threat, not just to the Seventh Adventist community, but to the entire Christian community. Because if I have a certain belief as an institution, we have schools, and by the way, the Seventh Adventist Church is not doing Christian education overnight. We have over 7,500 schools around the world, in over 150 countries around the world. We understand education. Uh, so if the government, and, and by government I'm not talking party politics, any government for that matter, should determine that they're going to legislate our standards, that is a threat against Christian education, whether it be Catholic Christian education, Baptist Christian education, or Seventh-day Adventist Christian education. The educational institution has that right to determine, based on the biblical principles, what these standards are. And Dr. Green, uh, I mean, uh, from what we're reading here in the statement, uh, we're taking it, or I'm taking it personally, that it's, you're saying, uh, come correct or come according to the rules or don't come at all. Like your message to parents out there with their students. Is that the message you're sending? Well, you know, it's interesting the way you, you put it. <laughs> I mean, I think that's what the police department would say to recruits who want to become police officers. They would say, comply with the rules or don't come. And any institution would say that. I went to the passport office a few years ago to collect a passport. There was a gentleman outside the passport office 
sending a message inside to a lady to give him his shirt because he wanted to go back to work. She went to the passport office in a blouse that had no sleeves. They told her she could not enter the passport office like that. And hence, hence, she had to borrow somebody's shirt to go. Now, that was a government institution. They had just codes and they complied. She wanted her passport. She borrowed a shirt to cover up to go in. The Seventh-day Adventist school has rules and regulations. And if you are not willing to comply with the rules and regulations, we're going to have to say we're sorry. We really want to provide you with the best quality education there is. But a part of the discipline of learning is to be able to comply with rules and regulations. All right, we're still we'll be talking with you uh, more extensively going forward, Dr. Green. But let me ask you a final question on this. I think it comes back to one that we had asked earlier. Uh, the release indicates that it would be unthinkable for one religious body to attend another religious institution and demand that they change their standards to accommodate them. What I'm asking is, going back to what we mentioned earlier, is there any allowance in your dress code and your grooming policy for locks, whether by religious uh, affiliation in terms of the Rastafari community or, for example, a style, uh, a similar kind of uh, hairstyle to locks? Is, there, is that countenanced at all in your policy? Um, as it relates to the school, no. The school says that those are not allowed. You can go to a Seventh Adventist church, most definitely. We don't determine how you come to church. But for an educational institution where we are um, teaching morals, we're teaching values. And Garfield, listen, um, to my knowledge, all the schools in Antigua have a uniform. Now, if your uniform is red and white and you go in a blue jumper, they are going to say to you, you're out of uniform you must comply with the uniform. It is not unreasonable to think that there are rules and regulations in institutions, and that's all we're saying. Comply with the uniform. It's a matter of discipline. If you are so strong on maintaining your blue uniform, when the correct uniform is red, then the institution is going to have to say, we are sorry, you're non-compliant, we would like to have you, but unless you keep the rules, you can't attend. But if the government uh, actually follows through on its, uh, on its warning that there could be legislation, what would be your response? Well, then we would go to a, a different stage. If the government were to follow through on that, then we would have to advocate for religious freedom. We would see that as an infringement on the religious rights. And I bet you that there would be not just seven Adventists on this, because there are going to be other schools which would be affected. Listen, last week, I know for sure that there were at least three public schools that sent home students based on hairstyles. They did not comply with the regulations they sent them home. Uh, it, it, you know, we, we, we like the sensation also. This made the, the, the media and it, it was, I mean, the whole incident was unfortunate. I would that everybody who wants, uh, you know, seven-day education would get it. But a part of the package is you're going to have to discipline yourself to comply with the rules and regulations and internationally out of the usa a 58 year old st lucian born clinical technician in the emergency room at the mount sinai medical center on fifth avenue in manhattan on saturday 
snatched the inaugural Miss Caribbean Woman 50 and Over crown in a beauty pageant that comprised of six other Caribbean contenders at the Mahalia Jackson Intermediate School in East Flatbush, Brooklyn. Miss St. Lucia, Sharon Utrecht Willie, not only won the coveted crown, but also swept all the other categories in the four-hour-long contest organized by the Brooklyn-based Grenada American Ex-Teachers Association, Incorporated. In addition to being awarded a trophy, along with the other contestants for her participation in the pageant, Willie walked home with trophies for Best Performing Talent, Best Evening Gown, Best Introduction, and Best Congeniality. Miss Jamaica, Audrey Evans-Bob was first run-up, Miss Trinidad and Tobago, Donna Douglas second run-up, and Miss Haiti, Adley Cassius third run-up. The other contenders were Miss Grenada, Jennifer Adams, Miss Guyana, Alicia Davidson, and Miss Barbados, Judy Newton. Though Miss Grenada was clearly the crowd favorite, Demonstrating much talent and responding well in the interview segment, she failed to place among the top four to the chagrin of her boisterous supporters. Now to our weather update. A tropical alert has been issued for the Leeward Islands. Let's take in this ZIZ television report. The St. Kitts Meteorological Services has issued a tropical cyclone alert for tropical disturbance AL96. According to the alert, the system has the potential to become a tropical depression or tropical storm in five days and impact the islands. The statement said given the very high uncertainty of whether AL96 will become a tropical cyclone before reaching the Federation, it is impossible to predict what exactly will become of this system at this time. At the reasonable worst case, the statement said disturbance AL96 poses little or minimal threat, but this is likely to change and an alert will be required in a day or two. The public is being urged to have your hurricane disaster plan prepared and monitor this system closely. At the time of the statement, AL-96 was located just over 1,100 miles east-southeast of the Leeward Islands, moving west to west-northwest at 15 miles per hour. Maximum sustained winds are near 20 miles per hour with higher gusts. On its forecast track, the system could be in the area on Friday or Saturday. Locally, heavy rainfall and strong gusty winds are possible. No alerts, watches or warnings are in effect at this time. And that's our package for today. I am Curtis Morton bidding you a marvelous day.